0: I love you too, but not enough to wipe your child, so. (laughs) I was waiting for a story like that this time, and uh, uh, fortunately we don't have one of those to share, or or at least they're the kind of stories that we can't share until a year later, you know, so if I get to come back next year, he's probably gonna share the secrets of this past weekend. Um, I understand he, he made a video this afternoon and sent it back to Stillwater, and I'm sure they're playing that in the service tonight and uh, enjoying that. If if I'd have known he was doing that, then I would have shown y'all a video that we made this weekend of him doing a science experiment on his wife's kitchen table that you can still see evidence of the experiment. (laughs) If you can tell stories, I can too. I got, oh, I got to remember—he's my boss this weekend. I'm used to being his boss, you know, and until he came here. Now, now he's my boss this weekend, and so I have to I have to pay attention. But you—this was a really cool experiment, and and it worked mostly. <laughs> <laughs> it worked mostly. But um, I, I have pictures of the table, and it still bears the the—shall we just call them burn marks? <laughs> So anyway, you you can you can talk to him. I just I think I just lost my love offering probably, but <laughs> in that. But um, no, we we've we've enjoyed it and uh, enjoyed it immensely. You know, one of the, one of the neat things is how that um, you know God God puts different personalities together. I, I don't know if y'all watch this very long, you're going to realize we are not the same personality. <laughs> I mean, he is. When I say impulsive, I don't mean impulsive in a negative way because he's deliberate in all of those things. But, you know, with as many kids as he has, he's like, okay, man, let's just go do this and let's have a blast. And and it's the reason their family is so much fun. One of the reasons their family is so much fun. And I'm like, no, i got to think it out for, you know, three days before we can decide to do this. And we got to be, you know, this and, and that. And, and then I can get paralysis by analysis. And so... So I'm more serious-minded, and he's more. Um, what do you want to call it? Joyful. joyful. <laughs> he's gonna put a biblical term on it, you know. Of course, so I can't fight that, you know. So serious versus joyful, and and uh, and it made for some exciting times on staff. But it just reminds me that um, God puts us with people that we need to be with if we'll if we'll learn, Amen. and so. Um, He didn't just, they didn't just come to learn from me, God brought them there for me to learn from Him. Because sometimes you can be so serious that you need the edges taken off, and and then sometimes you know, you can be so joyful that you need the the serious side, you know, and so um, I I promise you He wasn't there long enough that He becomes like me. He's going to be Him, and I'm thankful for that, and so... Um, learn from everybody that God brings into your life. I guess that's what I'm saying, because God's so good to us in that way. 1 Corinthians 14, let's stand together. 1 Corinthians 14, your pastor says that he has dealt with this before. It would have been a a long time ago, And, uh, and so I wanted to be sure that it wasn't so recent that you would feel like that it is redundant, and I'm not your pastor, so I couldn't cover it in the way that he could. But this is another church culture message. Churches need their own culture. And remember that a church is not supposed to represent that culture. A church is supposed to represent that kingdom. And one of the reasons that a church needs to be stable and solid and have a very consistent culture is because you don't represent the trendy culture of hum, of humans that changes as the trends come and go. You represent a kingdom that is eternal. And people need to be able to come into this place and not feel it's trendy. They, they need to feel like wait a minute this thing is based on a book that you know is almost 2000 years old and and and, and the happenings in it 2000 and many thousand more years old. They need to come in here and sense, whether it's by the music or by the greeting, by the preaching, by by the classes, by the ushering, by the nursery, by every aspect... That what they are seeing represents something bigger than a human culture, but it represents the kingdom. And, and so when I say a culture, I don't mean that culture. I mean your identity as a church that people come in and it rubs off on them because they realize, man, this is what these people are about. And it permeates everything that they do and that they are. And your pastor was exactly right. It must include everybody. Everybody. Any outliers distract from a church culture. So 1 Corinthians 14, this is going to read three verses, but we're going to deal with the point of the whole chapter. So look at verse 23. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23. If therefore the whole church become together into one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers... Will they not say that ye are mad? But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all. He is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth." Now, what would, I'm just curious, give me some feedback here. What would y'all do if in the middle of the message this evening, somebody stood up and just started speaking in tongues? What would happen here? Would you bless them, praise them, throw them out, shoot them? I don't know. What do you do here? (laughs) Give me some feedback. I don't want to preach the wrong thing here. Okay, all right, all right. That's, that's, a, that's about what I expected to here, because in our services at home, it'd be about the same. You know, we're going we're gonna to be clear, hey, that's not biblical, that's not what happens here, and we're going to dismiss them from the service uh, kindly if they so choose, but not so kindly if they so not choose, you know, to do it that way. So I don't think you believe that speaking in tongues is valid for these days, do you? All right, you don't, so you wouldn't tolerate that. But according to what this chapter says, there are some things maybe you do tolerate that's just as bad. And I don't mean just you. I mean churches that would never let somebody speak in tongues, but yet would be just as much a violation of what this chapter is actually about. And and the point is not to change and correct those. I'm not the pastor. That's not my responsibility. That's not the kind of message I'm preaching. I'm preaching a culture message here that will just help um, establish some things that God wants out of every church, and in a way that I, I hope that you'll you'll see it and you'll say, Okay, that really that makes sense how that happens. Let's let's pray and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for a church that is good at listening and receiving, and even according to the message this morning, we've come into your house, and I pray that that each person here is more ready to hear. Than to give the sacrifice of fools, or to give, uh, to give an an opinion or an assessment that there would be a a recognition that you would want to speak through the preaching. And I I don't pretend to be the pastor. Therefore, I don't have all that this congregation needs. This uh, the the pastor that is here does, and I I know that he will take and make. Every application over time that needs to be made that I would never know, I pray that you'll just help me to convey the truth of what was expected of the early church and what some of the challenges were, and that we, as New Testament churches today, could benefit from truths like this that can help us establish a church culture that you can really do something with and would give this church the reputation that it needs and deserves. So I pray that you would use the message to strengthen and challenge and encourage them. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you noticed here, but what we just read is in some ways a tale of two church services. There's church service number one, and there's church service number two. And you have to decide which kind you like and you want as a church. Look at verse 23, if therefore the whole church be come together into one place. Now, again, I know that you have your ecclesiology, your church doctrine, right? But just in case somebody else needs some convincing, the whole church, in order for it to be a church, the whole church needs to be able to come together. All right, so that's one of the reasons we don't believe in a universal church. The universal church cannot assemble together until heaven comes and, and then we're going to be with Him. Uh, but right now, the church is, is local churches. So this is the church, it's not the only church. Anybody that's a Bible preaching, you know, New Testament, um, Baptist church, I even believe Baptist is right, doctrine, and I, I won't, won't go to seed on all of that, but thankfully, there are lots of true churches around, and, and let's be careful that we don't become necessarily the thinking, okay, well, I know what a true church is or, or isn't. There were some pretty sorry churches in Revelation 2 and 3 that were still called churches, so we ought not just be overly judgmental there, but there are plenty of places they call themselves church on the sign that it's nowhere near what the New Testament talks about. So I think you, you know that. So it says the whole church become together into one place. That's a church service. Would you agree? I mean, that's what that describes, right? So they come together into one place, so you're having a service. And you know, it could be a Sunday morning service, Sunday night service, Wednesday night service, whatever it might be. So there's a church service in verse 23 And we're going to skip the middle part. We're going to come back to it in a moment. But look at the end. And there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers. You know what those are? They're guests. They're visitors. And so these guests come in and it says they're unlearned, which that could mean somebody that is saved but not discipled. Or it could mean, it could be redundant with the next phrase of unbeliever. So that would be somebody that has not accepted Christ. They don't believe yet, but they have come to this church service. And so you have the church, they're gathered in a service, and you have guests that come in. Now, here's what it says. In this service, it says, and all speak with tongues. In other words, that's... That's the primary characteristic of that service. Well, it gives the conclusion of the guest. So let's let's put it all together. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues, that's what's in the service, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? Now, does it mean mad as in angry? Not at all. It, It means what? It means crazy. Those people are plum nuts. They're out of their minds. We, we, don't, we don't get anything out of this. We don't understand it. We can't comprehend it. And this does not make sense to us. This has not helped us in the least. And so they walk out of there and they say, those people are crazy. Church service number one. Church service number two, verse 24. But if all prophesy and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned. All right, so now we're talking about a different church service. And, in, and so you, you get the sense that the church is gathered together again because it's a similar structure, and that there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned. So you have guests coming in again. But the difference is it says, but if all prophesy. If all prophesy, this one was speaking tongues. This is prophesying. If all prophesy, it says, he is the guest, is convinced of all. He is judged of all. Now, you, you can take this one of two ways. I, I think both could actually be accurate. He's either convinced of all truth or he is convinced of all that have been prophesying or all that are present in the church service. He is convinced by them. They have had a convincing effect on him. He is judged of all, meaning that it comes with the verse 25, thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, meaning he comes into that service, and as a result of that service, then things that he did not understand about himself, by the time he gets to the end of that service, he's like, I I understand the problem now. I can tell, I I have found the answer to what's going on. I I haven't been able to figure out why my marriage has been falling apart or or my kids are are like they are or I've not been able to figure out why I have this hole in my heart or why I can't find satisfaction or fulfillment in anything that I've been doing until I came here and I've sat through this service and now I get it, the secrets of his heart are made manifest and so falling down on his face, he will worship God. Let me just throw in, you know what you did this morning? You fell on your face and worshiped God. Which is appropriate since you're members because the Bible says even some guests think that's the right thing to do. And, and yet, you know, a lot of members thinking, I just don't, I don't, no, that's, I think that's too liturgical. You know? Well, the guest doesn't think it's too liturgical. The guest says, God spoke to me, I want to worship Him. And so they fall down on their face. And, and worship God. That's why your pastor said something about let's be sure we follow the, the, the precedent set in the scripture. Because I say to our church every Sunday morning, we, we have something similar. And I say, I hope you've worshipped today in giving and in song and all of these wonderful ways. Let's just don't leave out the most biblical way. And this is one of the evidences is that even a guest could be known for falling down on their face and worshiping God. And notice this last part. And report that God is in you of a truth. I love that. Now, this would be similar to a a lot of churches, so please don't mistake this statement, but you're never going to have the nicest facilities in the valley. You're not. And you're you're not going to have the fanciest music of all the churches that people can go to. I, I mean, you're, you're, you're just not, and, and you're not going to have the fanciest kid areas to play in, and, and you're not going to have the, you know, you're not going to have all the the, the the technology just spread everywhere, and you're not going to have all the programs and activities that everybody have, but, but has, but let me tell you what you can have. Instead of somebody saying, man, they have the best music, they have the nicest facilities, they've got the great, the biggest building, and all of this stuff, they might just leave and say, God was there. God was in that place. And when, when the secrets of somebody's heart is made manifest to the point that they fall down on their face and worship God, that they leave and they don't care that you have the nicest facilities. They don't care that you have the fanciest music or the most programs or the biggest kids program and all of those things. They just know God's in that place. There, there is no greater reputation for you to have as a church than people to leave and say God was there. God was there. Now, you, you could have people come, and they might leave and say God was there, but they didn't get their heart right. But they know when they get serious, they know where to go. You say, well, that's not what a lot of people want in a church. And that's okay. But once, they, once, once God gets them to the point where they realize they need Him, then they're going to realize, man, I can be entertained anywhere. Why do I want to go to all those other churches? I mean, it made me feel good for a little while, but it was just entertaining. But when I went, when I went to West Valley, that God dealt with me. That's that's church service number two. So the question then becomes: Which church service do you want to have? Which one do you want to have? And I, I don't mean I don't mean as a church. A church is a collection of individual baptized believers who have come together and and joined to be a part of this this local church. And and this church is not primarily what your pastor says it is. It is the collection of how every member conducts themselves. That's really what makes this church. Your pastor through his preaching and his leadership and guidance, he helps form that. But Every member of this church sitting here is a part of determining which church service you want. In fact, every one of you are contributing either to church service number one or church service number two. Now, I know what you're thinking. None of us are contributing to church service number one because we don't speak in no tongues here. And I, I understand that. But you have to understand the whole chapter Because this chapter isn't here primarily to deal with tongues. The difference in these two services is whether they spoke in tongues or whether they were prophesying. All right, that's clearly what is in the text. But Paul points out a bigger difference than the technicalities. The focus and the purpose of each one of those two activities was total opposites. All right. So the focus between tongues and, and the the focus on prophesying was either oneself or others. All right. So tongues is when somebody gets up in a language that nobody else understands and they speak in that language and nobody else gets it prophesying is more a declaration of truth it's not prophesying as as primarily in saying let me tell you what's going to happen on Um, May the 5th, 2025, God's going to come back on that particular day. That's not what it means by prophesying. It means declaring the truth, and in the sense that I'm telling you, this is what God said, and this will come to pass in your life, in your family's life, in our country's life, in this church's life. That's prophesying. It is is simply declaring truth. All right? So, and and he's not technically saying, he doesn't, when he says all prophesying or all speaking in tongues he doesn't mean every individual he means all that are participating in the service and that'll be clear in the context here so the the focus it's not tongues versus prophesying directly it is the focus of each one so the focus of tongues is somebody spoke in tongues and they themselves were the ones edified so look at or or that or that knew something was going on look at verse four Notice this closely. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth who? Himself. Himself. He that prophesieth edifieth whom? Exactly. Tongues edified the, the, the person doing it, and that's all. Prophesying edified the whole church. That was the difference. The focus of who was edified was completely different. But not just the focus, but who profited, obviously. So look at verse 6. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine. Meaning something that you can understand that will do you some good. So, he, so again, he's, he's distinguishing between the focus of tongues was oneself. The focus of prophesying was the church. The, the profiting of tongues was, was no profit to the church. The, the profit of prophesying was to the benefit of the whole church. And so that's where he's headed in this whole chapter. And Paul makes some serious judgment between one who speaks in tongues and one who prophesies. Look back at verse five. I would that ye all spake with tongues. And, and let me just be clear here. Paul is Paul is accurate in what he's saying because tongues was valid in their day. All right, it, it was valid in their time. It's not for our time. We, we call it a sign gift, and now we have the Word of God as a complete revelation. And, and so that, that's, that's the fullness of the revelation. And, and now any revelation we have is the Holy Spirit illuminating the Word of God in our hearts. So it's taking existing revelation, the full revelation from God's Word, and simply applying it to you and giving you direction, direction, Giving you guidance, but he takes his revelation in the word and through the Holy Spirit helps us out. We don't have tongues. So he says in verse 5, I would that ye all spake with tongues, but then he clarifies, he says, But rather that ye prophesy. Now this is an interesting statement. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that who may receive edifying? The church. So he says, I'm fine with you speaking in tongues. But I would rather that you prophesied because greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh in tongues. He's not saying greater is prophesying than tongues. That's a given. He's saying greater is he that prophesieth, meaning he's doing something for the whole church than he that that speaks in tongues unless he that speaks in tongues has interpretation so that the whole church can be edified. This is not the tongues chapter. It is the edification chapter. It's just that tongues was the current issue in the church at Corinth that was keeping the church from having edification and all the members being concerned about everybody being edified. He, he, if he were here today, he could watch Bible Baptist Church or he could watch West Valley and, and Paul could be in the church for a little while and then he could go away and he could write 1 Corinthians 14, And he could tell us, okay, this is getting in the way of the church being edified because there are some who are interested in primarily their own edification or expression. And it wouldn't be tongues here or Bible Baptist. He would come to Bible Baptist and he would watch members. And then he would say, here's an issue that you have of some people who are primarily interested in their own expression." instead of the edification of the whole church. Look at verse 19. This is interesting too coming from Paul. He says, yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Now you probably thought you'd never hear that from a preacher. Let's see, give me a choice between five words and 10,000 words. Every preacher would take 10,000 words. In fact, every preacher does take 10,000 words to say what he could say in five words, probably. I've been guilty of that a few times in my own life. But Paul says, listen, if the five words can be understood and the 10,000 just make me sound spiritual, I'll, I'll choose the five words. That's quite a statement. He says, I could preach, and I know y'all will really like this one. He says, I could preach a 30-second message, or I could preach a two-hour message. And you'll say, well, I'll take the 30-second message. Yeah, but that's because you're worldly and you want a short message. Paul says, the reason I would take a 30-second message is because that's the five words that people can understand instead of the 10,000 words. That's how strong Paul felt about it. And the primary reason for all of this came down to who was edified. Service number two, church service number two, verses 24 and 25, was accomplished when the people were focused on everybody being edified. Church service number one was when people were focused on themselves being edified or expressed. And when you read edifying, think of ministering so that others are built up. That, that they can understand and grow from that. Now, there's some interesting things here. And so we're, we're going to cover it all, and then, and you're, you know, y'all can deal with the details later, but I think we, we need to be sure we realize what the Bible says here, because otherwise, as a pastor is trying to establish a church culture, we can end up, as church members, we can begin thinking, who does he think he is? It happens in all kinds of churches. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not at all saying I, I noticed that as a characteristic here. I have no clue. I just know that's human beings. I, I, was, I was reading an article this weekend, and I, I, sent, it, I sent it to your pastor. And, and I, I've, I've read it two times since, and I, just, I love it. And it's primarily about institutions today that in the past, institutions were expected to help mold you and form you. Now... Institutions are meant to be molded by us and formed by us. There was a time in which the the, the culture of the institution, we thought, okay, this school is going to teach me what it knows, and, and they're going to convey this to me, and they're going to help me be better at this, or especially a church or a Bible college, a religious institution. We went there so that they would rub off on us, and we would learn, and they would help us grow, and they would form us. And now so many people go to church, or they go to a Bible college, or they go to these various institutions, and they want the institution to be formed around them instead. Well, that's not just 2021. That was Paul's day. And he hammered it pretty good. As a matter of fact, notice verse 27 and 28. Notice what he says here. Now, again, you have to get not speaking in tongues, put whatever it is in here. Verse 27, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three and that by course and let one interpret. Now, now what he said there, uh, and this may be a tricky question, it's not meant to be, but the kind of verse, verse 27, does that sound more subjective or objective in his instructions? You can get it wrong, it's okay. Just, is it, are there numbers involved there? Okay, so does that usually mean objective or subjective? Objective. He's being objective. In other words, he's giving very specific rules and guidelines. Do you see that? So he says, if any man speaks in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three. So, is four out of bounds? Yes, according to the verse. He said by two or three, and, and let one interpret. So can five interpret? Let one interpret. So the church had rules, didn't they? They had guidelines. So notice verse 28. But if there be no interpreter, Let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Now listen to what Paul is telling the church at Corinth. This is the culture you need. And you need to have rules and guidelines. Here's the rules and guidelines for that culture. And if somebody is not going to follow the rules and the guidelines for that culture, they don't minister. You can't do that these days. You can if you're a biblical New Testament church. You can if you care about your culture. There ought to be significant protection for any pastor that gets up and says, listen, I don't want to be unkind, but this is the way our music's going to go. And, and, it, and we're going to do it this way and these are gonna be the rules and these are gonna be the guidelines and we're gonna have this type of dress and we're gonna have this kind of attendance requirement and then you're gonna have to follow this and you're gonna have to be here at this time or this is the way the nursery is gonna work, this is the way the sound is gonna work and this is the way the Sunday school is gonna work and this way the children's program is gonna work. That's a church culture and Paul gave the leadership of a church every right to say if you're if you are not going to be interested in being sure that everybody gets edified you need to expect that man right there to have the authority and the backing of the men and the women in this church to say I'm sorry you can't minister. Now if you want the kind of church where a pastor says you know I would kind of prefer that you do it this way, and, and if, if not, it's okay. But I prefer, Listen, there's 25 other churches in town probably just like that. There's plenty of other places to go. West Valley needs to be the kind of place where somebody comes, where if you say, I want church service number two, then you need to be a church service number two kind of member. Because that sounds great until your pastor's telling you no. It's amazing how many amens there are until you're the one. And then a man gets offended because his wife told him to. And then they go meet with the pastor, and guess who does most of the talking? The wife does because a lot of times that's where part of the offense comes, and the man is not going to be the husband, um, but he needs to follow the pattern that God expects a man to stand up and say this is the culture that we want to have because we want to have church service number two. And it is viable to say this is the way it needs to be done so that everybody can be edified. You say, well, why is his way better than my way? It may or it may not be. There are times that that we've had things at Bible Baptist Church, and and I've had to say later, okay, I really think that way might work better. But at any given time, in any institution, there has to be a leader who settles on, okay, we believe this is the best way and this is the way we are going to do it. Every pastor will be wrong. 22 years, today, man, I don't even want to tell you the number of times I've been wrong. I've never intentionally been wrong, but I've been wrong. And and I've had had to face up to it, and yet, yet just like your pastor, uh, you you get to stay at a place a long time because people know he's doing his best and he's trying to provide leadership and he's willing to say, I didn't get that right, and and so I'm going to learn from that, I'm going to get better the next time, but somebody has to decide and it typically needs to be the pastor or whoever he puts in charge. And and you say, well, that's kind of a tyrant-run church. Well... How do, you, how do you like America when it's run by Congress these days? You know, I mean, I'm, we're, not, we're not shooting for a, you know, a tyrant, but, but the fact is a church has a pastor and needs a leader because you want a particular church culture, and if you don't have that, then you have the book of Judges, which ends with this verse. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And so th- this is an institution that needs to form the members instead of the members particularly forming the institution. So, you know, I know I talked about it this morning. I'm not a Chick Fil A fanatic. I just love the fact that Chick Fil A has a culture, and and they have long lines. And I realize you may think they have the worst chicken, and that's okay. But they have a great culture, and they and they have a you know they they have a we we have one of the men in our church that runs a Chick Fil A, and I mean it was amazing. He started out with three thousand other people, and they have to go through all this rigmarole to end up as. The one. They whittle 3,000 down to about 600, and, and then they whittle those, those uh, several hundred down to 100, and then they whittle them down to about 25, and then they whittle it down to three, and then you got to be the one in the end. And he's telling me the whole step along the way. They care about their culture. And that's why they can have cars lined up. And then I love the fact that every Sunday night when I go home, if I drive by there, it's dark. And I don't know, maybe they'll give in someday. I hope they don't. I hope they don't. But I I just love that, that they have their culture, and they're going to keep it. Because people want chicken on Sundays, too. But it's like, nope, sorry, we have our culture. This is who we are. And a lot of churches will change faster than than a chicken sandwich place. Go figure that out. But they created a culture. Everybody's expected to buy in. I remember, I remember my daughter Emily coming home, and, and she's a girly girl, and, and she was so distraught. Well, Emily, what, what's wrong? I can't wear fingernail polish in Chick-fil-A. They told her she can't wear fingernail polish. Or maybe it was a particular kind that you can't have it looking strange and, and all of those. And I'm thinking, I love a place that has a rule, and they're going to follow the rule. And they say, young lady, you want to wear a Chick-fil-A? You follow the rule. You don't want to follow the rule? You like your nail polish sparkles more than you want to work at Chick-fil-A? Then go get nail polish sparkles and, and enjoy it, but you're not going to work at Chick-fil-A. They love their culture, and they, they find it to be important enough that, that everybody's going to buy into it if they want to work there. If you went to Chick-fil-A, and uh, the, the manager of our Chick-fil-A, his name is James, and, and if you went to Chick-fil-A, and, and you got your order from different people, and, and, um, and you said thank you to the one who served her, and they said, yeah, no problem. And, and then the next one, you know, said, yeah, fine. But then you went to James, and James says, uh, my pleasure. you would say, oh, at least the manager buys into it. Or, or if the manager serves your food, it's going to be right. But if one of the employees serves your food, you don't know whether you're going to get a a chicken sandwich or a burrito (laughs) from Chick-fil-A. And, I mean, you would think there's no culture there because the manager is the only one really sold on it. Well, people don't want to come into a church and feel like he's the only one that buys into the culture or is the most passionate about the culture. They want to find out that the first row does, the second row does, the third row does, the fourth row does, that every member says, I buy into the culture. That's why I came here. I, I, I don't want to be the one to convince a guest that the pastor and just a few of the leaders are the only ones who believe this, but that we all believe this. When, every, when you see everybody buying in, there's a greater chance for that guest to be convinced of all, of everybody. And a church needs to have a biblical culture that everybody buys into. So it's, so there's this aspect here of, of focus and passion. And, and I wanna finish, folks, on those two particular parts. So the focus is that the biblical member focuses on edifying others, not expressing themselves, because edific- uh, tongues was wanting to express oneself and their particular spirituality. And, and it makes a difference when you come to church who you're mindful of. That from the time you walk in that door, even from the time you're in the parking lot, you have an opportunity to decide, am I just here to express myself? Or am I here to be sure that I buy in so that everybody can be edified? And from the moment you walk in, that you begin to develop a mindset as a church member. Every activity that I'm involved in How can I be the most convincing? What can I do as I walk in the door with guests or with other members? What can I do to be convincing that I am focused on edifying others and not just expressing myself? When you come in and sit down, what are you participating in? Church service number one, church service number two. In other words, when it comes time to singing, a guest looks around at everybody singing and gets a pretty good idea, does everybody buy into this or not? I mean, are are, are they serious about this or are they just going through the motions? When, when it when it comes time for for invitation, then I, I mean a, a guest would look around and say, "Does anybody else buy into this?" Or or when it or or during the service, when you know you got you got three or four men that are like, "Man, man they sure agree because they're saying amen." But you know, but then you really don't you don't really hear much from from anyone else, and you're thinking, "Well, that doesn't matter." It's actually in the chapter. We're going to go to it here in just a little bit. The fact is, you have an opportunity at every stage to demonstrate that I'm either interested in expressing myself or edification. Uh, I, I think it's great to have youth up front. That's neat. Uh, we, we do that at home. We have them right in the middle, and, and they're in the front. And I want to say these youth actually make you look pretty good because they're paying attention. And, and they're, they're, people aren't used to coming and seeing youth sit on the front and paying attention and, and act like they're really getting something from it. And I think they probably are to, to the extent that I'd make possible anyway. And they're getting something from it. And, and it just makes a statement for people to say, okay, not all the young people are out there, you know, just running people over on skateboards, on the sidewalk, smoking weed and doing all this stuff. You know, there's actually some decent ones that pay attention. And come to church and, and want to do something like this on a Sunday. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what your age is. Every, every part of you can decide, I want to contribute to church service number two. And I'm going to focus on everybody being edified. When you have an offense. And there will be offenses in churches because it's full of people. But the Bible says, here's how you can deal with it. So when there's an offense, you got to decide, am I going to just express myself? Or do I want to be sure everybody's edified? And, and you have to realize when if you're going to choose to express yourself, you may as well be the one standing up in church and speaking in tongues because that's contributing to church service number one. And don't be surprised. Guests come in and leave and say, I don't get it. I, I really don't understand what happened there because I could tell there was tension between those two women. Or there was tension between those two men. Or there, there was, I, I walked up on, on these people and they were having an argument and they were conversing about this stuff. It, it, it was clear to me that I don't know if they really believe what they say because two people were spent, they, they were given to expressing themselves instead of edifying others. It's real stuff. It, it takes a lot to build a church culture that people can come into and truly be affected and, and it's, in, it's a great opportunity for you as a church member to say, you know, I'm not going to leave it to my pastor to make the only major impression on a guest every church service. And, in fact, so many church members think the person standing right here makes the biggest impression. And yet they expect him to do certain things. You make a, you make a different impression. Because they have an opportunity to learn something from you because they realize they're here because they want to be. So focus is one, that you, whether you want to focus on expressing yourself or edifying others, and the other is, is passion. look at verse 12. <clears throat> verse 12, "Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, all right, so the, the spiritual gifts, he's, he's, he's referring to tongues, but he's referring to others as well, that you want to express yourself. for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. Now listen, sometimes we get in our minds that excellence is a business word. That belongs in the business world, that belongs to the, to the passionate coaches that talk about excellence on their football team or their basketball team, or, or that belongs to the businesses that, that are promoting excellence among their employees. No, it belongs in the church seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. Don't even just decide, okay, I, I want to participate in church service number two. Okay, what, what's your role here? What, what is your specific ministry here? He says, all right, don't just do that ministry. You actively seek to do it to the absolute best of your ability. Not, and, and even increasing your ability to excel so the church can be edified and, and what you do can be something that is convincing. The times that I, I preach, I preach this every year at Bible Baptist Church. And I'll, I'll clear off a spot for about every ministry. I'll, I'll clear off a spot for the ladies that work in the nursery. And in and, and the nursery and, and, I mean, all the, you know, basically all the ladies do. But you have, you have say, ladies, all right, when a, a guest comes and drops off their child, you have an opportunity to excel at being sure, because mothers care about their children. It, it's in them, and God placed it in them. And they want to know, oh, my kid's going to be taken care of. So, man, when, when, uh, when it comes to a church nursery, that'll be a place of excellence. Amen. Not because your pastor says, well, I just want to buy into this excellence idea. No, the, the, the whole church needs to be edified, and a guest comes in, and they want to know that everybody's interested in excelling at the edifying of the church. And, and a nursery has an opportunity to do that. A Sunday school class has an opportunity to do that. Every teacher ought to seek to excel at the edifying of the church. Now what all does this apply to? Look at verse 15. Paul says, what is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. So when he says the spirit, he would mean mean the idea that we'd be pointing towards tongues. He's not meaning He's not meaning praying in tongues. He's just saying, okay, the, the spirit and being able to communicate, that, that's one thing. But I also want to be sure that everybody's edified. I want them to be able to understand. So he says, when I pray, I want to be sure that everybody can understand the prayer. You know, that means that when somebody prays in, in public, one of the men gets up to pray, either up here or, or out here, then it ought to be that, every, that a man can be heard. And a man says, it's not my, my personality to, you know, to really project my voice. Well, it's time to change personalities for the benefit of everybody else. And to pray, and, and to not just put cliches together so somebody says, man, I've heard that prayer 15 times. No, that somebody's actually communicating with God. Because when we say Heavenly Father, you know who perks up? The Heavenly Father. And he wants to know, are you just saying what you say? Or are you really communicating with me when you pray? I mean, does the guest realize, man, there's understanding. I understand. I, I could tell he was truly trying to communicate with God when he prayed. And, and the fact that, that man, when we pray, that it's just like everything kind of stops, that, that people realize, okay, they must be serious about prayer because they're all, they're all participating in it. That's an important time. Then he says, I will, verse 15 still, I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. So not only praying in a service, but singing in a service. And it's important that, that every person says, I, I don't want to just express myself. I want to be sure that others are edified. Now, for some that might mean they ought to start singing. So that, you know, so a guest doesn't look around and say, I don't know. They must be a guest as well, but yet they've been here 15 years, and they still don't sing. And you, you, you understand you don't have to have a great voice to sing, right? Because you, you can sing with a spear, but you can sing with your mouth. You want to be convincing. You say, well, I just, I just don't, I don't want to really participate in that way. That's self-expression. Edifying the church is the other side that says, I want church service number two. Now, there's others. They're in the ditch on the other side of the road, and they're the only person that anybody in the section can hear And they might need to pipe it down a little bit because they're also self-expressing and offending everybody around them at the same time, maybe. And they might need to realize, you know, somebody's told me I ought to tone it down just a little bit and kind of blend in with the group. And it's probably a a good idea. So it's not just a a self-expression. Look at verse 16. Else when thou shalt bless with the spirit, How shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? There was an expectation that there were going to be some amens in the service. It's biblical. It means that there's something there that has the ability to edify the church when somebody understands and can say amen instead of just kind of, well, this is this is just who I am. I'm not an amener and, and maybe not, but you at least have an opportunity to convince the guest and the other people around by realizing, hey, I agreed with that, and so I'm just going to convey it. I'm going to say amen, amen. And it could even be that that the, the way that you pay attention, that you actually are looking at the at the preacher, can be convincing. Or or by even nodding ahead and giving people the sense that are around you. I want them to be edified. I want the guest and maybe even the new members to have a sense that man, I'm I'm into this, and I want I want people to understand, and I want them to believe that I understand. I want them to I want to be convincing. I don't want to just be self-expression. I'm going to go along, and, and it's amazing a guest comes in and they sense that a congregation is responding as opposed to just five loud men. Do you think it's more convincing when they hear they can see a whole congregation engaged? And So every person has to decide when I'm sitting here listening to a message am I just interested in what I get or can I add to what I get along with that can I try to be convincing to all? Not by manipulation just by making it clear, hey, I'm with you with a pile. I got it. Amen. I, yes, sir. That that's great. And and I mean, there, there's there's so there's so many ways to do this. Look at verse 26 and we'll start to wrap up. Verse 26. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Now now, what, what he's saying there is, he's saying, listen, I'm, I'm hearing stories that you come together and, you know, Mr. Jones has his way of doing things. He, he wants to do this. And then Mr. Smith has his way. He wants to do it. And, and Patty over here wants to do it her way. And Sally wants, kind of wants to do it her way. And each of you have your own thing. And you want to sing this song. And you want to do this. And he says, how is it that that when you come together, you're together? but every one of you are acting like individuals. He says at the end of verse 26, let all things be done unto edifying. He said, when you come together, be sure that you are a together and that that you don't allow a culture to develop that is extremely tolerant of somebody that comes in and says, you know, this is the way we did at the church I came from. And so that's kind of how That's how I think we ought to do it. I I think it's a a better way. Well, you're not at that church anymore. You're at this church. And this church is developing its culture and has a pastor providing leadership and, and leaders in various forms, and they're providing and helping a church along. And there is a lot more edification takes place when there's unity, according to many places in the New Testament. And be careful That as a church member, be careful that that you take advantage of your opportunity to help spread the culture that we don't just have to do it our way. We we want to be involved in the very best way. And, And there ought to be in any church, any New Testament biblical church, there ought to be some red flags go up when somebody starts acting like, oh, I don't want to do it that way. Did you hear him tell me what to do? And we think that's personality. It might be personality, but it's self-expression that makes it very difficult for a guest to be convinced of all. In that case. Well, it, it, applies, it applies to so much. So look at everything you do. Let's summarize here. Look at everything you do in light of its edification on others. And, and realize that a, a church culture of edifying others, I promise you, it, it doesn't matter who you are. It will eventually cramp your style. It, 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 does, it does that to everybody eventually. But it's a culture that refuses to demand, have it my way. And be teachable, be correctable when your ministry could take a step up and realize that a, a pastor's not attacking when he comes along and says, you know, let, let's step this up a bit here. Take it as an opportunity to say, all right, Pastor, let's go. Let's get after it. I don't mean let's get after it, you know, like that. I mean, man, Pastor, let's, let's, let's do, let's step this up. And I have an opportunity to not just do good at my business and at my home and and, and all of these other things. This is the work of God. This is the house of God. And I want to do everything I can to make this good. Teach me how to make it better. And that can be convincing. You know, it's. It's more of a challenge to have a church like that. It is. It's tough. Because guess what? Basically, about everybody here is a volunteer. And how many volunteers have you tried to keep together lately with this many different opinions and ideas? But one of the things that makes a local New Testament church so powerful is when you get this many people, this many different backgrounds, this many ideas this many opinions to all rally around the same cause and say, we cease to be individuals only when we come in here. God's going to use every individual and he's going to use what he has done in your life specifically But he says, I want you to take that individualism and I want you to wrap it up into the unity of a local New Testament church. Because when guests come in and they see that church, all these members sharing that same culture and more interested in everybody being edified than just individual self-expression, then they will say, I haven't seen this before. And they might just leave and report that God is in you of a truth. Now, it's a particular area that the Holy Spirit says, you, you need to pay attention to this. You need to be mindful of this particular area. You, you, as a church, you know, one of the things that you are enjoying, I'll be careful how, how I say this, but you, you have, you, people are attracted to your pastor and his family. I mean, they, they, just, have, they just have an attractive personality and, and the way they're trying to raise their kids and, and all of that. And, and, and this church enjoying the benefit of that. And, and you had some other benefits and, and Brother Hetzer. And man, we, we love supporting Brother Hetzer. Our church loves them as well. And he, he's, a, he's a good friend and that, and that was great. And, and I, you, you've, you've had that, but, but you, you don't want to just ride the coattails of an attractive pastor's family. You want to be sure that what God has done in your life adds to what's going on here. And it ought to be that every member in this church says, I'm going to be just as convincing as he is. I may not get to be in the pulpit, but I get a place in the pew. I get a place in the seat, and I have a place in this ministry. And every time they come in contact with me, I'll be convincing because I am interested in us going in the same direction and having the culture. And I, I will not be the tongue speaker in our church. I will be the one prophesying because I am interested in everybody else being edified. Let's stand together and have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for giving us direction as churches to know how we can be most effective. We don't have to find some church growth manual to do that. You've given us church growth manual in the epistles, like 1 Corinthians. I pray that that's where our strength will come from. I pray that that's the culture that each church will develop Every one of them unique still. Lord, this community needs this church. They need it to be plenty strong. And you've placed so many good people here. People that you have worked in their lives. Lord, I pray that this church would feel the strength of a combined army, a combined unit of men and women, husbands and wives, young people that every one of them feeling not only the burden but the privilege of having an opportunity to be convincing and being sure that people leave here and know that God was here because so many people were so apparently on board and passionate about excelling at their part of West Valley Baptist Church. Lord, I pray that the days ahead will be significant for them. I pray that you would use just the culture that their pastor is trying to establish here, a biblical church culture, that you'll use that to see the lives of so many people affected and changed by their example, their testimony, and their message. So use the invitation, I pray, that it would accomplish what it ought to in every heart. I pray these things in your name. Amen. As the invitation is sung, if you need to respond, I encourage you, give God the courtesy of a response in the message tonight.
1: can direct your attention this way. I sure do appreciate you being here and giving your attention to it. And that truth is worth giving attention to. And it's not the kind of truth that you feel a strong emotional response, but you need to recognize the significance of it. And, and let me, and Pastor Hardy would never visit another church and deal with these, these kinds of things. But these are things that I've talked about, that we have talked about as a church family, how we utilize the nursery. And, and understanding that that we have workers who are trained and capable mamas and ladies who know how to care for babies so that the attention can be on the preaching of the word of God, um, how we respond to guests, and, and understanding Brother Max and Brother Fiavi can have the biggest smiles up here, but if someone out there is just grumpy and self-centered, it doesn't matter how convincing they are up here. If you're not working at engaging guests, then that's gonna have a bigger effect on their view of this than Brother Max or Brother Fiavi and all of their effort can on, on some kind of rule that we have for the, the youth and trips that we take. For example, and I'm just throwing things out so that you understand at some point you're gonna have a problem with something. And just try to discern, is this more about me and my liberty? Or is it really about edifying other people? For example, we have a zero-tolerance cell phone for kids that go to youth camp. See, why? Because their focus doesn't need to be on that. Well, what if, what if I need to get a hold of my kids? That's why you have all of the workers' cell phone numbers. It's like 35 people with cell phones there. Your kids don't need to be on Facebook when we're trying to have youth camp. Yeah, Those are the kinds of things that we're talking about. You have a special. Well, I really want to do my special this way. But there's a heart. Brother Nate has this heart. I have this heart. What is going to maximize it being the most effective in reaching people? I love this with our sound guys, Brother Adam, Brother Patrick, Brother Z and others that are coming along. What are we, you know, we we want to do all these different things. Now, what is going to help us maximize the technology in a way that will be the most edifying? It's going to be, a, those are the kinds of things that we're talking about. And so just think through things and how you can apply them in your own life and in the areas God has you participate. And, and pastors write about this. Um, we have, God has blessed our church family with some amazing people. And, and we just got to make sure that we're constantly trying to move in the same direction. All right, we're going to get ready for a baptism. Brother Nate's going to come lead us in a song. And as soon as I get out here... Then you may be seated.
2: All right, we're going to sing hymn number 202, Amazing Grace. Because with baptism, it is by grace we are saved through faith. And uh, not of works, lest any man should boast, is the gift of God. And baptism is a proclamation of God's grace in our life. So let's sing this together. Amazing grace, how sweet a sound that say